We've been learning a lot of new things recently, so I hope you won't mind if I start off this morning with an old favorite. This is one of those preacher stories that is uh, as easy and as comfortable as the elastic waist pants you're wearing right now. According to legend, there was this preacher who called all the kids forward for the children's moment one day, and she wanted to give a lesson about the everyday wonders of God's creation. And so she said, I'm going to tell you about something. I'm going to describe something, and I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. She began to describe it, and she said, this thing lives in trees, and it eats nuts. She paused, but none of the kids raised their hands. It's gray. It has a long, bushy tail, she said. Zilch, nothing from the kids. It jumps from branch to branch. Finally, one little boy tentatively raises his hand. The preacher smiles and calls on him and says, and the boy says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. I admit, in my own preaching, I probably talk about Jesus too much. It's not that I want to talk about Jesus less, but I'd like to talk about the Holy Spirit more. Because as Christians, we believe that there is only one God, but we also believe that this one God is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the images that we carry around in our heads for the Father and the Son, they may or may not be totally accurate, but at least they are images. An artist can paint God on the throne or, the, or Jesus on the cross, but the Holy Spirit is tougher. I took a class when I was in seminary called Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. And the main thing that I learned in my class on pneumatology is that it is hard to talk about the Holy Spirit. My professor didn't speak in tongues in that class, but if he had, I might have understood that better than what we were talking about. But I did walk away from that class knowing one thing, that as hard as it is to talk about the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to be the church if we won't. This morning and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And as we look at the book of Acts, we're going to start here as we did at the beginning. And we're going to see that the apostles are very close to the point where they should know all the answers. Jesus has been teaching them for the last three years as they've been following him. And now since the resurrection, we heard this morning that he spent 40 days giving them their final instructions. But even after all of this teaching, they still don't have everything that they need to be the church. Jesus gives them the command to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus knows that what they need is something more than instruction. They need a companion. I bet you've been there. I, maybe you're there right now. Maybe you are facing a decision and you have all the information you could possibly use. It's not that you need more information. You can't even bring yourself to act on the information that you have, not because you don't know enough, but because you are waiting on the assurance that comes when you know you aren't acting alone. Maybe it's a decision about your job or a relationship. Maybe you know exactly what instruction Jesus would give you, but you feel powerless to act. Maybe it's something to do with your health. Like, I know everything that I need to know about why I should be exercising more. And I also know that I probably won't unless somebody else is counting on me. And I know that stinks for me 
because I don't really like exercising with someone else. I prefer to fail in the privacy of my own solitude. Thank you very much. Jesus taught his disciples and he teaches us all the time in the scriptures, through the church, in all manner of ways. Jesus gives us information, but he also knows that we need a companion even more than we need instruction. And so Jesus made the church to be a place not only where we get instruction, but where we live alongside the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as near to the church as our own breath. But for a very long time, if you'd asked me, I would have told you that I did not feel especially close to the Holy Spirit. Growing up in Montgomery, Alabama, where I grew up, most of us Christians assumed that the Holy Spirit just kind of lived at the Evangel Temple on Vaughn Road. That's where, according to the rumor, folks spoke in tongues and shouted prophecies, and they fell out so often they had special ushers on standby just to catch them. I'd never done any of those things. And so I suppose that I was still waiting for the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand then that the very existence and the work of the church are a sign of the Holy Spirit. I know that I had been instructed from an early age that the Holy Spirit gives each of us different kinds of gifts. But what I didn't quite realize is that those gifts are only important because they serve the purpose of drawing all the many varieties of God's wisdom into one body called the church. I didn't understand that the Spirit has been present and active and evident wherever people are empowered to carry out the mission of God. Maybe you've been there too. Maybe you've wanted to experience the Spirit's power because you wanted to reassure yourself. Maybe it never occurred to you that the Spirit was already with you, inviting you to live for something beyond yourself. If it's any consolation, the disciples were just as confused as you and me. They had been in the presence of the Holy Spirit from the moment that they met Jesus, but they still didn't get what was going on. It was just a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday, we talked about how the disciples didn't understand who Jesus was or how his power worked. They and the crowd that were there on that Palm Sunday were still hoping right up until the very end that Jesus was going to be the military hero who brought them freedom by winning a war. And now we see that they still couldn't let go of that image, even on the other side of the resurrection. Jesus tells them in what we read today, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they are fired up about this. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Maybe they're thinking, we're definitely going to win this fight now that we know our guy can't be killed. And you can't totally blame them. In fact, before Jesus' ministry, the Israelites of the Old Testament, they mostly associated the Holy Spirit with military miracles. You can see this especially in the Old Testament book of Judges. The book of Judges is far and away the best book of the Bible for junior high boys because it's got the best battles and disasters and the action heroes who cause as many problems as they fix, just like those Marvel guys. And every time something cool is about to happen in Judges, like when Samson is about to kill a thousand Philistines with a donkey jawbone, or when Othniel is about to go John Wick on King Cushion, every time this happens in the book of Judges, we are told that the Holy Spirit came upon these heroes to deliver the nation of Israel. But those are just for moments. Every time in the book of Judges, we see that the Holy Spirit comes for the moment, but doesn't really live with those heroes. Whereas in Jesus, we see that the Holy Spirit is working in a new way and in a new timetable. 
Today's reading tells us at the very beginning that when Jesus was instructing the disciples over those 40 days, he was instructing them through the Holy Spirit. And even though the Holy Spirit hasn't yet empowered the disciples, even at the end of what we read today, they have already been in the Spirit's presence because they were in Jesus's presence. At the Last Supper, The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus calls the Spirit a counselor and a comforter. And he tells the disciples that it would be better for them to be led by the Spirit's invisible presence than it would be even to be led by Jesus. Jesus tells them that through the Spirit, they are going to do greater things than he has done. And in verse 5 today, when Jesus mentions that the Holy Spirit will baptize them, that is a reminder to them and to us that the Holy Spirit was with Jesus from the moment of Jesus' own baptism. The Spirit has been there all along in the body of Christ. Before Jesus' ministry, the Spirit of God would visit only for a moment. But in Jesus, the Holy Spirit was dwelling with humanity for good. And the church, the body of Christ, that's us. (laughs) We have not just been given the Spirit for a few ecstatic moments, but the Spirit's presence is the power that is at work in us and through us and around us and out ahead of us all the time if we could just wait long enough to know that the Spirit is there. Over and over, Jesus made these very few things clear. First, the Holy Spirit will dwell with us as it did with him. Second, the Holy Spirit is the companion who empowers Christ's instruction. And third, the Holy Spirit's power is different than our own. But we still have this tendency, even to this day, to miss the Holy Spirit's presence, even when it's right in front of our faces. And those folks who put the titles on our Bibles, they can't quite get it right either. If you opened your Bible this morning, you probably saw that the book we just read from is entitled The Acts of the Apostles. But if you actually read the book, you'll see quickly that it's the Holy Spirit who's doing all the acting, doing all the work. The book of Acts is not the story of what the apostles did. It's the story of how they received an instruction from Jesus, and then they got stuck. And then the Holy Spirit pulls and pushes and tugs the church out of whatever ditch they've managed to get themselves stuck in. And then the Holy Spirit gets the apostles back on the road that God laid out for them. This happens again and again. And don't get me wrong, the book of Acts is full of wonders and visions, but it's also the story of how the early church kept forgetting about Jesus' final instructions. As mysterious as the Holy Spirit can be, the book of Acts tells us very plainly what the Holy Spirit is about and what we should be about. I've been doing a lot of reading comprehension worksheets lately. And so I've learned to identify the main idea paragraph of a story. Do it every morning with Evelyn. And it's right there in the last verse that we read this morning. The main idea paragraph for the entire book of Acts. The very last thing that Jesus says to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit right there. The apostles were looking for the power that was going to restore the kingdom. And Jesus was giving them the power to go find the kingdom in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the ends of the earth. 
Now, I want to say a quick word about each of these areas. The ends of the earth is pretty self-explanatory, I guess. That means everywhere. But the first three places are worth lingering over. Jerusalem, that's where the disciples already were. And isn't that generous of God? To start by sending us to the places we are already. Jerusalem is the holy city. It's the capital. When the disciples asked for the restoration of the kingdom, they wanted it to start in Jerusalem. And Jesus obliges. Judea, on the other hand, that's the surrounding regions that are inhabited by other Jewish communities. Galilee, Caesarea, more or less all the lands from the Jordan River. Oh, wait, no, let's get this backwards. The Jordan River on this side to the Mediterranean Sea on that side. All the land more or less in between, that's Judea. I say more or less because right in the middle of Judea is the third place, Samaria. And you might remember that the apostles and the other good Jewish citizens weren't on the best of terms with the Samaritans. The whole point of that parable that we call the Good Samaritan is that nobody believed there was such a thing as a Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were treated like heretics or like cult members because they didn't recognize the holiness of Jerusalem or the temple. And their worship was very strange to the Jewish people. And the Samaritans had this reputation for violence. And from the beginning, Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit won't just send you to your friends and family. You'll also go to your enemies. At any point in your life, you might define your Jerusalem and your Judea and your Samaria in any number of ways. You might define them or think of them in terms of like family and friends and enemies. That's your Jerusalem, your Judea, and your Samaria. Or you might think of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria in terms of like your neighborhood, your city, and then Mississippi. Maybe you might think of it in terms of affinity and geography and heresy. Those are complex words, so let me break it down. You might think of your Jerusalem as the relationships that you share an affinity with. Your Jerusalem might be the people who are your age, they're your stage of life, they're the people who have your same hobbies. And your Judea might be your geography. Your Judea might be as small as your neighborhood or your workplace, but it's the the place where you find yourself sharing space with folks with whom you don't have quite as much in common as your Jerusalem. And your Samaria, your Samaria, that would be the folks who've got it all wrong, the ones you love to fight with. Those are the folks who represent the Samaritans in your life. However it is that you define your Jerusalem and your Judea and your Samaria, I bet you could name some sphere of influence in your life or some group of people that fits each of those categories really easily. The disciples had it even easier than we do. They just had to look at a map. Their instructions were literally this simple. Preach in Jerusalem, then preach in Judea, then preach in Samaria, and then keep going. But even with those simple instructions, as we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to see all the ways that the disciples got stuck. They got stuck in Jerusalem. They got stuck in Judea. And we're going to have to see all the ways that the Holy Spirit works and moves to get them to Samaria and then out to the ends of the earth. Because any more than a particular gift or a particular experience or any particular feeling, The presence of the Holy Spirit is known by propulsion. If you want to live a spirit-filled life, 
the first thing you should be asking is, how is God inviting you to fill the world? And that's not just a good question for you individually. It's the right question for us as a church. How is God leading us? And how has God empowered us to fill the world with signs of the kingdom? If we go around asking God just to restore our kingdom, to help us keep reliving the greatest feelings and the greatest hits of our spiritual experience, then we are going to miss out on the Holy Spirit. One of the things that pastor, people ask pastors a lot is, what's your vision for the church? What's your vision for this ministry or that? And the most honest answer I can give is that my vision of the church is that it's the place where we all discern God's vision and the Holy Spirit's power and presence together. The church that I long for, the church that the world needs, the church that I've seen these last few weeks is one that is able to take a deep breath and even in the most wildly changing circumstances is able to seek the Holy Spirit. We can't control the Spirit. We can't make the Spirit show up. We can't make the Spirit move and we can't stop the Spirit. But what we can do is learn to recognize the signs of the Spirit. And that's what I think the task is for us in the weeks ahead. We're going to be pausing to learn to recognize the signs of the Spirit. And we're going to do something a little bit different. At the end of each sermon, after we've talked about the signs of the Spirit, while we read the book of Acts together, each week I or Woods is going to ask you a question. And I hope that you will text your answer back at the very special number we have set up just for that purpose. Each week's question is going to be about where you see a particular example of the Holy Spirit's presence in and around our church. And your answers are going to be gathered together for our church council to see and to discuss and to pray over as we seek to follow the Spirit's leading. The question we're going to ask each week, and it'll change each week, is just one way that we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit together in the months ahead. We're going to take time as soon as we're allowed out of this quarantine period to go interviewing community leaders, to send out surveys to you about the things going on in our ministries. We're going to hold some special listening sessions in the fall. We're going to spend this whole year off and on at different points, taking the time to listen to one another. And above all, we're going to pray. By January of next year, I think our whole church is going to be ready to pray over everything that we have heard. And then we will discern together what are God's most important callings for us for the years ahead. How is God propelling us into the world? And I don't know where God might take us. But I do know that the Holy Spirit is already with us. And your purpose and my purpose are being woven together to reveal God's purpose for us all. Your Jerusalem and your Judea and your Samaria, they might be all of ours. Or maybe the rest of the church is being set loose to serve another Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria because you are already serving yours so faithfully. This morning, I would love to know, what is your Jerusalem? What is your Judea? And what is your Samaria? And you can let us know right now. I don't know where God might take us together, but I do know that the Holy Spirit is with us. And here's how it works. If you will send a text message to the number we'll show you at the end of this service, and if you'll write in that message your answers to this question, what is your Jerusalem? What is your Judea? 
And what is your Samaria? Then we'll gather that together and we'll be praying over all the Jerusalems, Judeas, and Samarias of our church. You have my total permission to text while church is still going on. And I hope that you will. And I hope that you know that even now, you are already a part of God's mission to the world. And you are one of the ones that God is using to fill the world with grace and meaning and purpose. And you're not alone. The other person of the Trinity, the one we forget to talk about, the one who always seems to get shortchanged in favor of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit of God is near to you as your own breath and is uniting us all to our common purpose. And the Holy Spirit has come upon you even where you are, even in your own Jerusalem. And you might forget about it. You might find it hard to describe the Holy Spirit, but the presence of God is with you to help you discover the Spirit's propulsive power. And the world, they're waiting too. The world is waiting for our witness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.